welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. Today is January 7th, and today we're going to read and look at Genesis 7. Just as a reminder, the format of this show is every day I'm going to read one chapter each day, and then I'm going to offer a brief explanation of key ideas, themes, and theology. The goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. So let's get into our reading of God's Word today. Genesis 7 says this, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your households, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his male, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were open. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his son Shem and Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and livestock, beasts, and all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. 
And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Now, in Genesis 7, 1 through 5, having made the ark according to the directions of the Lord, Noah is now told to embark on the, on the ark. And he's instructed here to take on board seven pairs of all clean animals and a pair of the animals that are not clear. And since after the flood, some clean animals will be offered as sacrifices in Genesis 8.20, and some will have eaten as food, as we see in Genesis 9.3, to ensure their survival, it was necessary to have more than one pair of each kind in the ark. In verses 11 through 12, we see a particular feature of the flood is the number of the detailed chronological notices. And by pinpointing the exact date of the flood within Noah's life, the text underlines that it was a real event. All the foundation of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were open, verse 11 says. Powerful imagery is used here to capture the intensity of the flood. From below and from above, water poured out to cover the land. Rain fell on the land continuously for 40 days and nights, verse 12 tells us. What we see in verse 16 is the safety of those in the ark depended on both human and divine action. The Lord shut him. The the use of the personal name Yahweh here, it underscores God's special relationship with Noah. Verses 17 through 24 show the devastating results of the flood are described fulfilling the judgment that God had previously pronounced. The waters prevailed on the earth 150 days in verse 24. The figure of 150, which includes the 40 days of rain mentioned in verse 12, is repeated in Genesis 8-3. In both places, it denotes the five-month period that falls between the detailed chronological notices given in Genesis 7:11, marking the start of the flood on the 17th day of the month, uh, when the ark comes to the place of rest on the 17th day of the seventh month. It will be a further seven months before the land is sufficiently dry for those in the ark to disembark safely, as we're going to see tomorrow in Genesis 8, 13 through 14. Now, we talked yesterday about the global flood, And scripture is crystal clear about the historic reality of a global flood in Noah's day. In Genesis 7, 19 through 22, specifically it says that all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered as the waters prevailed, that's 15 cubits or 26 feet upward. All air-breathing land animals and people that were outside the ark died, we see in Genesis 7, 22 through 23. And sadly today, many people unfortunately do not accept the biblical account of a worldwide flood because they've been taught that most rocks and fossils were deposited over millions of years and therefore not by a global flood. Until the 1800s, though, most Westerners believed what the Bible records about the Earth's recent creation and the global flood. The secular idea of millions of years did not gain intense popularity until the 1830s under the influence of a man named Charles Lilo. And based on how slowly many rock layers seem to form, be formed today, Lyle rejected the Bible's claims and declared that the Earth's many rock layers must have been laid down slowly over millions of years. But he never witnessed the actual formation of the earlier rocks to see whether they could be laid by a unique one-time global flood unlike anything we observe today. Lyle's claim was based on his own preconceptions, not his observations. 
In contrast, modern geologists observe that most new sediments layers are deposited rapidly in catastrophic events. And yet Lyle's idea took hold in Western universities and even spread throughout the Western world. Sadly today, many Christians simply tried to add this idea to the Bible. What these Christians should have done was stand on the authority of the Bible and defend the global flood, which can easily account for the bulk of fossil-bearing rock layers we find all over the world. Some Christians have tried to put millions of years of rock formation before the global flood to explain the bulk of the rock layers that contain fossil fuels. But the problem is that the floodwaters would have ripped up a number of these old rock layers and laid down new ones. And so this compromise not only fails to explain the rock layers, but also dishonors the clear claims of the word of God. You see, a global flood, it makes perfect sense, and it is wrong and foolish to stray from God's word just because some men disagree with it. And although there is a tremendous physical evidence of a global flood, ultimately is a matter of trust in a perfect God who created everything, as we see in Genesis 1-1, who knows everything as it's described in Colossians 2-3, and has always been there as we see in Revelation 22-13, and as is said in Titus 1-2, God cannot lie. The only alternative is a trust imperfect, fallible human beings who can only speculate on the past. That's why we have the objective word of God. It is inspired. It is without error. It is without the possibility of error. It is clear and it is binding on our lives and it points us to the person and work of Jesus Christ from the revealed word. So I want to thank you for listening or watching today's Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave. Today is January 7th, and until tomorrow, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.